you would take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 12. Today is Palm Sunday, and so we are going to be thinking some on that and trying to relate it, uh, hopefully staying true to God's Word. I pray that we would do that, and relating it to what is going on in the life of our church uh, as we move from this location. Because today is the day, after over seven years, I believe, of being here in the basement of Beechwood Baptist Church, we are moving out. Uh, feels in many ways, I've said, like like a, a, a young man moving out of his parents' basement um, and going into his own apartment. He's taking bold steps that are going to shape his future. It's exciting, but it's kind of scary at the same time, and I, I think that's how I feel. I'm excited about this next step for us as a church but there seem to be so many unknowns before us. Sometimes I don't really know what to think. It was interesting. Last Sunday night, Paul asked us um, what our expectations for the move are. And we had a little trouble answering the question, what our expectations are. Maybe, I, I'm not sure why, but maybe it's because the majority of us have not really stepped inside the building yet. Uh, no one's really seen it. I promise you it's going to look good. Um, it's exciting. It's a nice space. But maybe that's some of our, our hesitancy or just not really knowing what to expect. Maybe we're not sure about moving into a new neighborhood. You know, Bardstown Road, that's a unique area. Do we really want to, what's that going to be like? Uh, maybe we're looking back. Maybe we're remembering all that God uh, has done here in the past. Maybe you have been here long enough to remember back to the, to the White House and to Linwood. I was not really there much in those days. I visited once, I believe. But uh, that's the history of Grace Fellowship Church being in, in Linwood. And there was a move from Linwood Baptist Church that I'm sure some of you took part of and came here to Beechwood. And maybe you're remembering all that has gone on here in this in this fellowship, Paul. Some, some difficult, some painful memories, but also some joyful memories. Many of you were, were baptized. Some were baptized upstairs here in this church. And all moves, even even though they're usually for better, they're usually good change, you're moving into a different place, they're, they're always difficult. So sometimes it's it's hard to articulate, what, what are our expectations? But instead of thinking about our expectations this morning, I want to think, what are our motivations for moving? Because people don't typically just move. Say, I'm going to move, uh, I'm going to move out of my house and go to a new one, just because there's always a reason. Because moving is a pain, <laughs> and, and human beings don't really like change. I don't like change that much. Typically, there's some people that do, but most people don't, right? So if we could just stay here and be comfortable, that we would probably do that. So what's what's driving us to take all of our stuff and pack it in a U-Haul and drive over to Bardstown Road to this new location? What what is it that God is is calling us to, as as individuals and as a church? So take all these questions of kind of motivations and, and, and desires, what's our drive, what's our purpose, what's our, our calling, what's, what's the mission of our church. Take all these questions and kind of stick them in the back of your head as we look here at John chapter 12. And we're going to come back to those and seek to see what, what Christ would say to us as we think about those things. But let's consider these words of Scripture from John chapter 12. We're going to read verses 12 through 32. We won't cover everything that is in these verses this morning, but I pray we'll understand it in general, and this will give us some context. John chapter 12, beginning in verse 12. It says, On the next day, 
The large crowd who had come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took the branches of the palm trees and went out to meet him and began to shout, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. Jesus, finding a young donkey, sat on it. As it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. These things his disciples did not understand at the first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written of him, and that they had done these things to him. So the people who were with him, when he called Lazarus out of the tomb that was in chapter 11, and raised him from the dead, continued to testify about him. For this reason also the people went and met him, because they heard that he had performed this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that you are not doing any good. Look, the world has gone after him. Now there were some Greeks among those who were going up to worship at the feast. These then came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and began to ask him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip came and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip came and told Jesus. And Jesus answering them, answered them, saying, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He who loves his life loses it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it to life eternal. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now my soul has become troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? But for this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came out of heaven. I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. So the crowd of people who stood by and heard it were saying that it had thundered. Others were saying, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered and said, the voice has not come for my sake but for your sakes. Now judgment is upon this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. If you've been reading through John with us in our reading plan as we've been approaching Easter, then you just wrapped up John 17 last night, or maybe during the day. Jesus is high priestly prayer. It's the end of Jesus' teaching and instruction time between him and his disciples that began back in, in chapter 13. And the verses we read just now occur obviously right before um, this, this period of th- this teaching called the Upper Room Discourse. And they serve kind of as, as a transition from the ministry of Jesus in, in chapters 1 through 11 into the period that's often called his Passion. Um, the the Last Supper, Jesus' betrayal, his arrest, his trial, his crucifixion. And if you've been reading through the book of John, it feels almost as if John has been driving to this point in, in chapter 12 with, with the miracles of, of Jesus, his teachings, his I am statements, and then most poignantly in his statements about his, his coming hour. If you notice that in, in verse 23, and Jesus answered them, the hour has 
come. Throughout the book of John, Jesus and, and, and John, who has been writing over and over, have been talking about the fact that Jesus' hour has not yet come. At the wedding in Cana, when his mother infers that Jesus needs to do something about the wine that has run out, what is Jesus' response? He says, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. At the beginning of chapter 7, his unbelieving brothers encourage him to go to the Feast of Tabernacles to display his power publicly. And he says, while their time is always opportune because the world is not going to hate them, his time had not yet come. In John 7 and 8, after two particularly pointed teachings, the religious leaders wanted to seize him, it says, but no one laid a hand on him, the text says, because his hour had not yet come. He talks to the woman at the well of an hour when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And then in John chapter 5, he talks about an hour when the dead would hear his voice and live. So throughout the Gospel of John, through chapter 11, Jesus has made two things very clear. Number one, there's an hour that's coming. And number two, it hasn't come yet. Keep saying, my hour has not yet come. My hour has not yet come. My hour has not yet come. And then suddenly, in John chapter 12, verse 23, Jesus says, the hour has come. That should stop us in our tracks, because we want to say, what is the hour? And and why now, Jesus? What What is that hour, and why have you been waiting up until this very moment for the hour to come? As we think on this, think, think about this. G- John has made it clear throughout the gospel that Jesus has a, a dividing effect. Um, there's no middle ground with Jesus. I guess there was a basketball game yesterday that pretty much split, probably not the state of Kentucky, but we could say the city of Louisville down the middle, that you're on one side or the other. We'll take that and multiply it by 100 with Jesus. Jesus split the crowd. You either were for him or you were against him. And it's seen all throughout the book of John. We've been noting this as we've been reading it with with the girls uh, in our evening devotions. And um, we've kind of watched this division between those who accept Jesus' teaching and, and his miracles and then those who reject it. And the way that we simply said it is that, that there are people who when Jesus um, you know, gives sight to the blind, he heals the sick, he raises the dead, they all say, Thumbs up. That's good. We like Jesus. We give him a thumbs up. And then there's this other part of the crowd who see the exact same things. They see him heal the sick. They see him give sight to the blind. They see him raise the dead. But their response is, you know, this is terrible. We give him a thumbs down. We don't like what Jesus is doing. There was no middle ground. It's either thumbs up or thumbs down with Jesus. And the crowd has been split all throughout his ministry. Some responded in faith and love, but there were those who saw the same miracles and responded with disapproval, with jealousy. Those who loved Jesus at one point in John chapter 6, they they try to take him and make him a king by force. To which Jesus responds by giving them probably one of his hardest teachings, where he calls them to eat his flesh and drink his blood. A tough chapter there, John chapter 6. So after that teaching, this, this threat of the people who loved him that wanted to take him and, and make, him, make him king by force, suddenly that, that threat is gone because 
a lot of his disciples walked away. It would seem that they wanted to make him king, and Jesus purposely squelches and, and extinguishes that desire by teaching so hard that some people turn away. Why? Why would he do that? Because his hour had not yet come. It was too early. Those who despised Jesus, the religious leaders, were always looking to take a hold of him, but not to make him king. They were looking to get a hold of him to arrest him. But no matter how many times they had him cornered, and there's so many times where it looks like they've got him, he would get out of their hands. There's that one story, it's not in John, but where they take him up to the pinnacle of the temple, and they're ready to throw him off the temple. And it says that Jesus kind of just walked through the crowd. Why? Because his hour had not yet come. He was in complete control. No matter how strongly the Pharisees and the Sadducees despised Jesus, he was invincible until the moment he chose, until his hour had come. And then in chapter 12, it it opens with Mary in this, this beautiful picture where she anoints Jesus with this oil in preparation for his death and for his burial. And he comes into Jerusalem and people pick up palm branches and they start to worship him as king. And instead of standing up and saying something like, eat my flesh and drink my blood and causing everyone to turn away, what does he do? He purposely fulfills scripture and he says, get me a donkey because I want to walk through this crowd like scripture says the Messiah will do. I'm going to fulfill this now. I'm going to do what I've been called to do. So instead of rejecting this desire to make him king, he in some ways accepts it. It's a scene that you probably saw in verse 19. The Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are not doing any good. Look, the whole world has gone after him. The the Pharisees were lamenting what what was going on. It, It was getting worse. They had been trying to arrest him, and now just more people were following him. They say the world's going after him. And John picks up on that and he says, you know what, you're right, the world was going after him. And in verse 20 he says, now there were some Greeks. Jesus had come to speak to the house of Israel, but all of a sudden the Greeks, the Gentiles, start looking for Jesus. They hear what's going on and they don't respond like the Pharisees with hatred. They respond like the crowd and they want to worship Jesus. They want to say, who is this guy? We need to follow him. And it's when Philip and Andrew come to Jesus with the message from the Greeks that he finally says, my hour has come. It would seem that what's going on is just everything is exploding around Jesus. I mean, the crowd is at its height as far as its love for Jesus, and the Pharisees and the religious leaders are at their height of hatred for Jesus. And and it's come to a head on both sides, and And the the emotions and the feelings and the hatred and the jealousy and the love and the worship are so strong that it's as if something has to happen. Something, it's it's come to flood stage. and, And it's as if Jesus takes all of this and he intentionally allows the waters to just swell up completely to a flood. Ironic when you think about what we've been dealing with this morning in the water. But it comes up and there's this group of people that say, We have to make him king. And there's another group that says, we have to kill him. And there's this complete divide amongst the crowd. And Jesus at that point says, my hour has come. 
There's no holding this back anymore. It's time. He says clearly that what the hour was in verse 23, Jesus answered them saying, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now in light of the context here, you might say, well, that must mean he's going to exalt himself as king. He's received the praises and the palm branches, and so now he's going to come and he's going to reveal his glory like he did with um, Peter and James and John on the Mount of Transfiguration, and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is the Messiah. We might think that's what he means until we read the following verses. Verse 23, And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He who loves his life loses it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it to life eternal. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. The hour had come, and the hour was the hour of Jesus' glorification, but it would not come by him being seated on a throne. It would come by him being lifted up on a cross. His glory wouldn't come through more shouts of Hosanna, it would come through shouts of crucify him. And Jesus knew exactly what was going on. I love the words of John 13, 1. If you just probably look over the page, it says, Now before the feast of the Passover, this is right before he washes the disciples' feet, before the, fe the feast of the fat Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. He, would, he knew exactly what was going on. It continues throughout John 13 through 17. He, he knows what is going on. He knows what he is setting in motion. He's in complete control. He's perfectly aware that what he is doing and how he is going to be glorified is through betrayal, through a mock trial, through humiliation, through crucifixion, through death. But he also knows that unless he goes through that, unless he dies, he will not accomplish the mission that the Father had sent him to do. The mission that he had been sent into the world for. What was that mission? He says it, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He says, it's time for me to die. It's time for me to become like a grain of wheat that falls into the earth. And if I don't die, I will not bear much fruit. I will remain alone. But if I die, then I will bear much fruit. If I love my life in this world, I will lose it. But if I hate my life in this world, I will keep it for life eternal. If I don't die, I will not glorify the Father. He knows that unless he dies, he will not accomplish the goal. If he chooses to run away, he will remain alone. But if he chooses to die then God will accomplish the plan of salvation. But as he spells out what, what he is doing, it, it's unique because he doesn't say that this is just for me. He takes it and he, he brings application at this point. It's not just unless I die. 
there will be no fruit. He says, he who loves his life in this, he who loves his life loses it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it to life eternal. He's making it clear that the path to the glorification of God doesn't, it doesn't go uh, straight to Palm Sunday. It goes straight to the cross. That the way to glorify God is through suffering, is is through death, is through dying, is through becoming a grain of wheat that falls into the earth and dies. He makes clear that the path to glory is a path of sacrifice, of suffering, of death. Why why are we moving? What is our motivation? What's driving us? What is what is our goal? Our goal hasn't changed. Our goal is the same as it is here. It's the glory of God. It's to see God lifted up. It's to, to see people in this church and in the world beyond, to see the majesty and the greatness of God, to see that God is the only person worth worshiping in the world, to tell the news that the fullness, that in the fullness of time, we read in Galatians, God sent his only son into the world so that at the right time, when his hour had come, that Christ died for the ungodly. Why are we moving? We are moving for so that we can glorify God. That's why our church exists, for the glory of God. It's the cry of our hearts to glorify God. And if that is the cry of our hearts, if the cry of our hearts is the glory of God as a church and as individuals, the cry of our hearts is the glory of Jesus, the gathering of the nations like we see here to worship the crucified and risen Savior. If that is our goal, then we should not expect that our days are always going to look like Palm Sunday, where everyone's casting down palm branches and crying Hosanna. Very often, it'll probably look like Good Friday. What's so difficult about this is that we've been deceived. We've been deceived into loving our lives here on earth, he says. He who loves his life, specifically you could say, he who loves his life on earth loses it. But if we would hate our life in this world, we would keep it. We love our lives more here than our lives that are hidden with Christ, than lives of future glory. A friend of mine was preaching on this text, and he said it this way, the truth is you cannot love your life in this world and still have eternal life in the next. You cannot love your life in this world and still have eternal life in the next. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote, when Jesus calls a man, he bids him come and die. When Jesus calls a man, he bids him come and die. To die to selfish ambition, to die to the seeking of our own glory, of seeking to be made much of, of seeking our own comfort and ease and rest. Now, a life that is centered on selfish desires, Jesus calls us to die from that. We're called to die to these things and to live for the glory of God alone. It's what Jesus models for us. That when the hour comes, he asks the question, now my soul has become troubled. So Jesus says, this is hard. And what am I supposed to say? Father, save me from this hour? But for this purpose, I came to this hour. When the hour of suffering comes, Jesus says, this is the only way to glorify God. So what am I supposed to say? Save me from this hour? If I ask God to save me from this hour, I'm not going to accomplish the purpose for which he sent me into the world. I have to walk through this. 
I have to go to the cross. I have to go through the suffering. Otherwise, God cannot be glorified. You may be wondering exactly what what this means for us as a church, but I think as we stand here, ready to walk out the doors of Beechwood Baptist Church and through the doors of the new Grace Fellowship Church, when you tell someone where your church is, you don't have to say it's in Beechwood Baptist Church. You say, well, you can come to Grace Fellowship Church, and this is where it's at. I think that's unique. So why are we doing it? We're doing it because we want to see God glorified, as we have here. But we don't walk through the doors. When we, when you walk through the new doors, here's what I don't want you to think. Wow, this is going to be so much easier. Life is going to be so much easier now that we have our own space. Now we can have lots of programs that will serve us. Now everything's going to be better for us. Things are going to be nice now or different now. They will be different, but I pray that our desire isn't that they would be easier. When you walk through the doors, I want you to say, I am a grain of wheat, Jesus, and I just renew afresh that I'm ready to die so that I can bear much fruit and bring you glory. To walk in and say, Jesus, I renew afresh that I don't love my life in this world. I don't love the fact that we have nice carpet and wood floors now. I don't love this building. I don't love the things that are here because I love the future that you are sending us to. And I want to see people come to know you. I want to see you glorified. And so I will hate my life in this world if that can be possible that we would walk through the doors and say, I'm not here to lift up my name. We're not here to lift up the name of Grace Fellowship Church. We are here to show that Jesus has been lifted up to die so that he would draw all men to himself and receive glory. When we walk through the doors, Lord willing, this afternoon, I want you to walk through with a renewed commitment to lay down your life and die for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the nations, for the sake of people coming to worship God as king. My fear is that we'll walk through and we'll say, this is good for us. I love you all, and I want it to be a blessing. But the purpose of us going is so that we can die more easily for the sake of Jesus' name. The purpose is we want to see God glorified. And when our hour has come for that to be possible, when the hour has come, I don't want us to look at the suffering, to look at the hardship, and to then say, Father, save me from this hour. I, I don't want to go through it. I, I don't want to walk into the hard thing. I, I don't want to invite someone to come. I, they're asking me to go in the neighborhood and, and tell people to come to our church, and it's just not my attitude. I don't want to do that. When things get difficult, it's easy to run away, but that's the place where Jesus is glorified. So walk through the doors with a renewed commitment to die, to, to serve one another, to serve the poor, to help the weak, to minister to the sick, to visit orphans and widows, all with the gospel on our lips, all with the glory of God as our goal. This is such a unique opportunity, but it's not an opportunity for us to go in and take it easy. It's an opportunity for us to go in and say, yes, we're ready to die afresh. 
We're ready to die daily for the sake of Jesus being lifted up. Now, I'm making it sound terrible, right? (laughs) Is there going to be joy in this journey? Look what Jesus says. There's positives and negatives, and you don't get the positives unless you embrace the negatives. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, if you die, what will happen? We will bear much fruit. We're not going to bear fruit unless we die. But if we die, then Jesus says there will be much fruit. There will be people that that will grow in their faith, that will come to know Christ, and then God will be glorified. And that's the ultimate fruit that we want. Look at verse 25. He who loves his life loses it, but he who hates his life, if you hate your life in this world, what will happen? Then you will keep it for eternal life. If you want to keep your eternal life, you've got to lose it. You have to lose your life here. Verse 26. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. So we got to serve, we got to sacrifice, but if we do, what does he say? Where I am, there my servant will be also. Jesus will be with us. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. He's going to be there with us when we go to serve and we go to die. And he says, if anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. And if we would serve Jesus, if we would die, if we would lay down our lives, if we would make all the sacrifices that we possibly can for the sake of God's glory, then he says, I will honor you. I don't know what that looks like, but he will honor us. He will give us joy in dying, joy in serving, joy in leaving our lives behind for the sake of his glory. It's what the world was created for. And now Jesus says, join me. Join me in glorifying the Father. But if you're going to join me, the way to get there is not through Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday is coming when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess fully and finally when Jesus reveals himself as the king of the earth, as the king of the world. But before we get there, we have to go to the cross. We have to die. I don't know what that will look like as we move in. It may be just a renewed commitment to serving in the nursery. It may be a renewed commitment to sharing the gospel and inviting friends. It may be something where you look around at the neighborhood that surrounds us and and God gives you a burden for that place and you say, I want to lead the evangelistic effort here in this area. I, I don't know what it's going to look like, but I know what Jesus calls it. He says it's dying. So as we leave, I want us to leave not saying, ah, things are going to be easier. This is good for us. It's going to be nice and posh and plush and everything's going to be great. It will be, but it'll only be great if we say, we're leaving to die. We are walking into this place to be like a grain of wheat so that God can break us and kill our selfish ambition and replace it with a love for his glory alone, and then he will be lifted up, and he will be glorified. And if we lift Jesus up, what does he say? If I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men to myself. That's what we want. I don't want to draw people to Grace Fellowship Church unless I'm drawing them to see Jesus and to glorify him.
I stumbled upon this passage as I was trying to think about what would be good for us to look at. And I, I landed in John 12, 20 through 26. I didn't even realize that it was right after Palm Sunday in the same vein there. I believe God sovereignly directed us to this text. And it's something that I've just seen used in, in different ways. I One of my best friends, who's Nate and, and Heather Wolf, we've been praying for them, missionaries in Tanzania. They were here in the States a little bit over a year ago now. And Nate and I were teaching at a um, a snow camp for junior hires. Someone asked me to do it, and I said, I'll, I'll do it if I can have someone help me. <laughs> and so I brought Nate along, and we met together to, to talk about um, about what we were going to do. And I had listened to a sermon. It was a, a biography sermon of a missionary named Adner, Adner, Adoniram Judson, who went to Burma or Myanmar, different, the two different names for the same place. Um, I had listened to it on the way down, and I was done with it. And I said, hey, you want to listen to this? I have the CD, and he, he listened to it. Again, they were, they were home um, just spending some time with family for different reasons. But God was working in Nate's heart about what the future looked like for him. And he listened to that message, and it was about Adoniram Judson and how he laid down his life. He gave up everything to go to Burma. And he died in old age, but his he had a couple different wives who died there in Burma, children who died. He laid down his life to see the gospel spread there, and it did. And there's evidence still in that nation of the work that he has done and of people who have come to Christ. And the text for that message that I listened to on that CD was this text, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. I talked to Nate on the phone yesterday, and I told him what I was preaching on, and he said, I'm going to send you something. And he sent me the text of his message, which is probably about 75% English and 25% Swahili. It was the last message that he spoke before he left a church plant that they had, made, they had done in Basotu, Tanzania. They were leaving because they're looking to leave Tanzania because they want to go somewhere harder. They want to go somewhere where nobody wants me. <laughs> they want to go to a place that doesn't have a gospel witness so that they can be the gospel witness. They want to be a grain of wheat. And they may die. We probably won't physically die on Barstown Road. But I pray that we would spiritually die. So that the Son of Man may be glorified. take a moment of silence now and I will close this in prayer when I get a hold of myself but pray that God would apply this truth to our hearts and as individuals and as a church as we leave this place let's pray
silently together and then I will close us and we will sing a song of response. Lord, we we don't know what to expect. But we know why we're leaving. We want to see you glorified and lifted up and drawing people to yourself for the sake of your name. As the cry of our hearts, Lord, and yet our flesh says, I don't want to die. I want to live for me. So we ask that you would crucify it, God. Crucify the flesh of us as individuals and the flesh of the church and our desire for ourselves so that we might live. Lord, you have promised that you will be with us wherever we go. And that you will honor us if we would serve you. And that if we will die, then we will bear much fruit. And if we lose our lives, then you'll give it back to us. But we have nothing to lose. So I pray that we would lose everything for the sake of your glory, for the sake of your name. And be lifted up in Grace Fellowship Church. As we leave, take these these sober words and, and allow them to explode with joy in our hearts. That we would say, yes, we get to die for the sake of the king of the earth, for the sake of the glory of God, for the sake of your name. Lord, as hard as these things are to hear, I pray that they would fill us, not with sorrow, but with unceasing joy and, and, and renewed zeal. Lord, use our church. We can do nothing of our own, but as we abide in the vine, we can do much and bear fruit. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.